Join me in reading Psalm 139, verses 1 to 6 and 14, found on page 576 in the Shed Bible. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. The word of the Lord. Come, people. So, thank you so much uh, for for letting me be here. What what actually forgot to tell me was like I'm from Africa. So if it's if it's 65, it's freezing, you know. <laughs> she didn't tell me what to wear, what to do. So I just showed up and I thought, God, what did I get myself into? Why? And we go to the airport and the jet bridge could not move. So we were sitting on the plane for an hour. And then I go to my hotel. It was already closed, so I had to sit outside and wait and ring the bell. And through all that, I said, God, why me? Why me? <laughs> but truly a joy to be with you. Well, my name is Peter Mutabazi. I speak seven languages, so English is my fourth language. So that means I have to think through the other languages to find the appropriate word to say. So am I curse? I am not, but I'm just saying. Uh, you can throw the iPhone 5 or whatever iPhone you have, and I promise I'll send it to Africa as soon as I leave here. So uh, please, please, please bear with me. A joy to be with you. A joy to truly be uh, with the family. For me, I have so m- I feel there's one state and one city I've visited more than any. It is Michigan, Grand Rapids. It is Grand Rapids that have been here more than anything else. The best friends, the best families that I know are here. So uh, bear with me as I get to really share my journey uh, with you. Well, I live in Charlotte. I was schooled here. I work here. And actually, United States is my community. And I just became a U.S. citizen. So finally, I can vote, which is really cool. But truly, truly, truly a joy. Coming from Africa wasn't easy for me. When I came to the United States, I really struggled with my faith. I could not understand God's love in so many ways. Here's why. When I first came, I saw how much food was thrown away. And I thought, God, there's no way you love us the same way. 
that others can have so much to eat and others can die for having no bowl of beans. And so I really struggled to understand, God, do you love us the same way? Do you care for us the same way? And for me, church became a little bit of, I don't think I want to be part of the church. I don't really think I want to go to church. Because God, you love Americans and then you love my people. You get to see why. Why that was really a problem for me. Thanksgiving is on the way and you're going to sit and eat food. And for me, those events weren't really fun for me. And I asked God, do you, do you love and as I was reading the scripture, the scripture you just read is what really helped me understand. We know David had everything in the world he could have. He was wealthy. He had a, I'm a single man. I have no wife. He had 300 wives. I was like, how do you deal with 300 wives? <laughs> he had everything he could. But in this chapter, he doesn't really talk about anything. He talks about how God knows him, how he created him. And I know every kid in Africa, God knows them the same way. The Lord knows everything about every child in Uganda. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my laying down. That when a kid in Africa is sleeping, that God knows, knows that child as much as he knows any child here in the United States. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. I love that, that every kid, every family, wherever we are, that God loves us. That's, and that's how David looked at it. He didn't say, God, thank you for giving me so much stuff. But rather, he looked at how God created him. And I like in verse 14, or 13, I can begin 13 and say, from you created me in a most being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that fully well. And that really got to help me understand my faith. That my faith wasn't based on how much food I eat, how much I have, but rather how he created me. And that really helped me to go back and say, God, forgive me. You know me so well. You created me in my mother's womb. You love me as much as... You love any kid here in the United States. Yes, I didn't go to bed as you read through the whole chapter. Uh, hungry, that you knew that well. David says, even when I go to hell, you know you're there. And for me, that helped me to go back to my faith because of the food. The other thing I struggled with was the homes. The homes I would go in, there would be so many empty bedrooms. And I would wonder, why are they empty? Why? An average house in Uganda is as big as a one-car garage, and that house would have between 6 to 14 members of the family that live in that space. And I thought, why do you have extra bedrooms? But as I questioned that, God questioned me as well, that I began to really think through, wait a minute, I have been given as well, as you get to hear my story. So for me, the conviction was Luke 12, 48. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. As I share my story, you're going to see how much I was entrusted, how much I was given. And as I was convicted, for me, this is what I did. So I walked into the false care system because the Lord prompted me to do something. So I walked in the false care system because I wanted to be a mentor. I thought I can be a mentor to kids. 
I can help kids that are absolutely in need, especially teenagers. I didn't know they would allow me to be a foster parent because I'm single, so I thought there's no way. So when I walked in, the, the social worker said, have you ever thought of being a foster dad? I said, yes, I have, but I don't qualify. And she said, why? I said, I'm single. She said, so? And she said, you can be. And that day, I signed up to be a foster dad. So since then, I've had 28 children. And right now, I'd like to share with you about my kids, as you get to see. This is my family, uh, and we have two dogs as well, Simba and Rafiki. All my kids are white, so I thought I should have something different. So our dog, Simba and Rafiki, uh, <laughs> that I love so much. Uh, next picture. This is my little boy. Every time I take him to, boy, to bed, he always says, Papa, thank you that I get to go to bed with you. In other words, thank you that you get to help me go to bed in some way. Because many times there wasn't anyone that would take him to bed. So he's saying, you are good, Papa. Next picture. The sister. So I've always had boys, but this time they gave me a girl. And I thought, why was I thinking? As soon as she walked in, she became the boss of the house. Like, literally, she's the boss of the house. She gets to paint my nails. Sometimes when I need to do something, she gets to do my hair. I have no single hair, but in her mind, Papa has hair. <laughs> and she's taught me how to listen and how to be tender and how to care. And every time I pick her from school, she always says, Papa, thank you for picking me up from school. But what she's saying, many times, nobody came to pick me up. Next picture. This is my, he's now 18 years old. During the COVID, I got a phone call if I could take in a 16-year-old so he would age out without, with a family at least. So I thought, 12 months, I can do that. And so he came. Four weeks in with us, he said, Peter, I want to talk to you, and it's really serious. When a 16-year-old tells you it's serious, you know, what did he do this time? Like, what did he do? And as I panicked sitting with him, he looked in my eyes and says, I've been in 12 homes, and everyone told me they would adopt me, but none did. They adopted my siblings, and no one wanted me. Would you consider making me your permanent family? And I said, absolutely yes. He's a teenager, he drives me crazy. But we love to have him as well. Next picture. I don't know if we have foster families here. I'm sure we do, or adoptive family. There's something called respite in foster care. When they call you and say, would you hold this child for a few days as foster parents either rest or travel? So I got this little one when he was 11 for the weekend. And I did not want to do that because I know what they do. They bring the child and you never know when they'll go. So respite, I thought I can do that. He was at the hospital. So the social worker called me and said, hey, would you take in this 11 year old? And I said, no. Here's why. Because I had had two little ones that had gone back to their family. So I was mad, bitter, and just shattered. There's one thing they've taught me to be a parent, but there's one thing they never taught me to do, how to say goodbye. And so I'd said goodbye to the other, and I thought, I need six months to rest. And that's when I got a phone call on Friday. There's a kid at the hospital. Would you take him in? And I said, uh, no, no. But finally I said, yes, I can take him in for just the weekend. And so he comes in at three in the morning and he sits in my home. 
And as soon as he arrives, I said, you can call me Mr. Peter. Since my last name is long, I said, call me Mr. Peter. He looks in my eyes and says, but can I call you my dad? Well, I didn't say, mm. I said, the word H-E-L-L, that's what I used. I said, no, no way. And he looked at me and said, did you just curse? I said, yep. And then he looked at me back and said, I was told since I'm 11 years old, I can choose who my father should be. And so I choose you. I still said, no, you're living on Monday, and that's inappropriate for you to call me dad. And so finally they came to pick him up on Monday. This time I didn't ask why he was in the foster care system. This time I asked because he was ready to go. So I said, why? Why was he left at the hospital? Well, he was in the hospital because... His adoptive family had left him and never said goodbye. And that's why he had come to me. And as soon as I heard that, I thought, there's no way I can let him go. So two years ago, he finally is my son, Anthony Mutabazi. <laughs> Next picture. This is my little one. He's three years old. He drives me, I don't know. <laughs> but he's a joy for me. He's coming to Michigan because his grandparents are from Kalamazoo. And so we're getting ready to get him here. So truly a joy that we can be parents to these kids. Thank you. I promise I wasn't crying at all. But it's tears of joy that we can help these little ones, but we can see them go. But here's why I'm crying, because I'm in the state where, she's coming, where he's coming. And his little one, we love him to death. So that is my three-year-old. So as you listen to me, you might wonder, how, do you, how does a single man from Africa do all that and be here? Like, how do you do it? How do you force a 28 kids, adapt one in the process of adapting the other three? Like, how do you do it? And this is where I want to take you home. Here's where I want to take you, where I came from as a little boy. I'll show you a few pictures of where I come from. This one picture is my little relatives in Uganda. That's what I looked like as a little boy. Next picture. You guys, we have grocery store. That's how we go buy food. So moms and dads grow food, and they put them on the roadside for people to go buy. So that's how we buy potatoes and vegetables. So that's a little background of where I come from in the form of a picture. So here's where my life starts. And as I listen, as you sh I share my journey, I want you two guys to really think about our kids in the foster care, but also think about our foster parents and adoptive parents as well. I want you to go there as you listen to my life. As a little boy, I grew up in a place where no one told me to dream once. No one told me that there was hope for me. No one told me that I could make it somewhere. Actually, I did not have a name until when I was two years old. Why? For every 100 children were born, 60 would die before the age of two. So most moms didn't name their kids. So at two, my mother called me a gift given to us by God. That's what my last name means, a gift given us by God. Grew up in a home where poverty was likely to take my life. Grew up in a place where we could not afford one meal a day. We could have a meal one every other day. We could not have beans and potatoes. We'd have beans today and have beans the next day. Thanksgiving is coming, guys. I had no choice in the entire 365 days. 
Only on Christmas I had chicken, so I grew up knowing Christmas was about chicken. And then Easter would have beef. Why? Because I came from a Roman Catholic family. At the end of Lent, would have beef. So those are the only two days in my entire life I had a different meal. I went to fetch water three to four miles every day, twice a day. So tell me, how do you dream at the age of four when you have to spend that much time to go get water? Like, how do you dream? I never saw a toy. I didn't know what a toy meant. I didn't have clothes. I had two pairs of clothes, Monday to Saturday, and one clothes for Sunday. My parents could not afford $5, one, two, three, four, five dollars to send me to school. So tell me, at the age of four, how do you dream? How do you know there's a future for you? I never had a pair of shoes until when I was 16. Tell me, how do I dream as a little boy? How? And then at the age of four, I began to realize that my father was different from any other fathers. My dad was abusive in every shape, form you could imagine. I grew up hearing my dad never had one kind word towards me. This is what he said every day. Peter, you will never be anything. Peter, you're useless and worthless and nobody. Peter, I wish you were born. I wish you were never born so I did not have to feed you. That's what I heard as a little boy every day when I woke up and when I went to bed. Those are the words that I had from my dad. So tell me, as a four-year-old, as a five-year-old, how do you dream? How do you even hope to have tomorrow? For me, I never wanted to see tomorrow. Why? Because today was hard enough that I didn't want to see the next. That I wish today ended while I was sleeping. That was my life. And then the other part, the guilty part was, the same abuse I got are the same abuse that my mother got. So most times she got their beatings because she was advocating for us. So tell me, how do you want to dream and see tomorrow? No, I did not want to see tomorrow. At the age of 10, I thought, look, my dad is going to kill me. Why let him? I had never been 20 miles away from my village, and I went to the bus station, and I asked the lady, hey, of all these buses, which one goes the farthest? As a 10-year-old, I thought, well, how far can I go? So my father will never, never reach to me because I knew he would end my life. And I ran to the bus station, and the lady said, that one. I got on that bus, and I went 500 kilometers away from my village. Where did I end up? On the streets of Kampala. What option did I have? To be a street kid. So I became a street kid because that was my only option I had. Was the streets bad? A hundred times than my family, than my own family. The abuse was worse than that. But here's the difference. These were strangers. They were my family. So the abuse was different because I was being abused by strangers, not my own father. So tell me, how do you dream? How do you hope for future when that's your life? And as three kids, we learn quickly how to survive. We knew stealing, we could not be idle. Idle was dangerous, so we knew stealing was the best way while we are helping. So one day I saw a man wearing khakis and glasses. So if you're wearing khakis and glasses here, be careful. <laughs> because for us, that was a sign of you can afford food. And I followed this man as he bought food. And as soon as he bought the food, I wanted to lift it. And he said, don't, 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 please put it down. And he looked in my eyes and said, what is your name? 
and I said, my name is Peter. And that rattled me. Here's why. I had lived on the streets for more than four years. No one single human being had ever asked me what my name was. This stranger wanted to know what my name was. And that's why I'm a little bit emotional being at your church, that you want to know who we are. For you are false parents, that you want to know your kids who they are. That's why he made me a little bit nervous. But at the same time, I was scared for everyone who was good was bad at the same time. So kindness didn't mean good. Kindness meant the abuse is coming next. And so I ran away as soon as he gave me food. Next time I saw him, the third time, the fourth time, I kind of knew what he drives, where he parks when he comes to the city. So I knew that day I don't have to steal much because this man will give me something to eat between six and seven. And he always gave me something to eat. And he fed me for one year and a half. And one day he said, Peter, if you had an opportunity to go to school, would you love to go to school? This is what I said. Really? Why would I want to go to school? I'm a street kid. I am garbage. I will never amount to anything. I'm useless. That's what everyone called me as a little boy. Why would you want me to go to school? I was a thief. I was the worst you could think of. Why would you want me to go to school? And so I said, no. Next time he asked, he said, if you go to school, there'll be food, there'll be lunch, dinner, and breakfast. I said, okay, I'll go. I'll go. Because you mentioned school, I'll go. That's all I heard. And he took me to school. But for me, the attraction was food. So I went for the meal. But little did I know that that would change my life. As we were driving on the, to school, he asked me, I asked him, I said, why me? There were more than 2,000 kids on the streets of Kampala. Why me? And he said, I just want to be faithful. I didn't understand what that meant. But now I do. I truly do. Because he was faithful, I was able to stay in school. Because he was faithful, not only did I go to high school, but I went to university in Uganda, and I went to university in England, and that's how I came to the United States, through the kindness of a stranger. Because he was faithful, my family became believers, my mom especially. And it's not that we went back and shared the gospel, but for my mom, she thought, how can a stranger love my child as theirs? How can they? And once she knew that he loved the Lord, he truly changed my entire family that they came to know the Lord. It's amazing how the kindness really compels someone to ask, why? Why me? And once they know you love the Lord, how that really makes them curious of who your Lord is, and that was for my family. Because he was faithful, I learned how to forgive my dad. There's one human being I hated, my dad. But also, for me, the scripture was a little bit difficult for me to understand. The Lord's Prayer says, forgive even those who've wronged against you. To me, I was like, wait a minute. There are some people we can forgive, but there are some we should not. And my father is in that line. Here's what I wanted to go, wanted to do. I wanted to go home and break my dad's leg or arm. And then after say, you know, now I forgive you. I wanted him to pay. But do you know what this man taught me what to do? He taught me the life of Joseph on how his brothers found him and they were scared that he's going to kill them. And how he responded to that, he said, for what you meant for evil, 
God has used it good to save lives. And that is why I share. And that's why I advocate for kids. Because he's taught me how to use my past as a foundation to truly change lives for others as well. Because he was faithful. I am a foster dad. Not because I'm a good dad. But he's taught me what a father ought to be. Because I didn't know what a good dad is. But he taught me. He showed me. He didn't say. He acted it. He guided me. Many times I wanted to give up. He always said, Peter, remember the life of Joseph. He used every situation to do good for his God, for his people. And he rescued him. That's why I'm a foster dad of kids who most are unwanted, most kids unheard of, most kids that nobody wants to know who they are that I wanted to do something that someone did for me, that of all 10,000, how many kids were on the streets of Kampala, that he didn't say, there's too many, I can't do it. But he said, I would do one, and that one happened to be me. So you can see why Luke 12:48 is so important to me. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. I have been entrusted with much. We have been entrusted with much, haven't we? Thanksgiving is coming. If you're going to sit and complain, maybe look back to Psalm 139, that he allowed you to breathe, that he knows when you walk, when you sit, that that's good enough to sit down and appraise him and be grateful for that. That's what he's taught me. I didn't have a family. I have a family now. I didn't have hope. I have hope now. I've been to 101 countries. My life as a street kid, I lived under the sewer where no human being could go because it was smelly and dirty. No one ever fed me food on a plate. They always threw it in the garbage so I can go get it there. But through the kindness of one stranger changed that for me and gave me a glimpse of hope. So, Marseille Church, we love you for being faithful to your community, to your people, to our foster families, to our foster kids, to our adoptive family. We want to say thank you. Because of your faithfulness, our children always know you are loved because you love them. Because you're faithful, we know we matter because you've considered us as your family. Because you're faithful, we know we're not forgotten because you remind us of who, where we come from. Because you're faithful, we know we are chosen, not thrown away. Because you're faithful, we know we are brave for what we've gone through because you're able to embrace us no matter where we come from. He's my coolest, all the best that I like when you're faithful. Because you're faithful, kids like me in the false care, adoptive parents, they get to know Christ as Lord and Savior because you get to show them unconditional love. And that is why I'm a passion and advocate for kids that I was given. I have been entrusted with much, but I truly want to entrust that and be accounted for. So on behalf of my children and on behalf of kids everywhere in the world, especially your community here must. Mass Hills, we want to thank you for loving us unconditionally, for being there for us, 
and for letting us be seen, be heard, and thank you for loving, especially on me. May the Lord bless each one of you. Thank you. Yeah. Peter, thank you so much. I, Marcel, I asked if before Peter went and took his seat, if we might bless him as he goes. So if you would join me in extending a hand to Peter. Peter, as you go from this place, may you know that you have a plan and purpose for your life. For the words that have been spoken unto you, when people said you would amount to nothing, may you know that the Lord has used your life for immense good in his kingdom. When people said you were worthless, may you know your immeasurable value and belovedness as a cherished son of the king. And may you know that the words from your mouth, the courage you've stepped forward in, has blessed and impacted many here today. May you know the peace and the love and the grace of Christ today and always. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. 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 Can we thank Peter one more time for joining us today, Mars Hill?